0: To Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and we're coming in hot this summer 2021 from the Bay Area. So glad you're here and tuning in. Today's episode, we are going to chit-chat with the incredible Emily Attenhofer from Southern California about being child-free after infertility. Emily, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for being here.
1: Nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Millie.
0: Absolutely. Well, Let's start with a small glimpse of who you are, what you do, a little bit of, about your fabu- fabulous pool life, because I love <laughs> watching you buy your pool on Instagram. I have major FOMO, and I like, I love it. It looks so glorious. And your super cute dog, Decatur. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh,
1: okay, so as you said, my name's Emily. I... Live in Palm Springs, California, and I'm a nurse. Um, I just actually started a new job as an ER nurse at the hospital here. And um, yeah, I have a really beautiful pool in my backyard, and I have a golden retriever named Decatur. Um, she's my child. <laughs> and I also have a 15 year old orange tabby cat named Oliver currently sleeping on the
0: bed behind me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. Now, did you have your pets before you moved to Palm Springs?
1: I did. So Oliver, I've had since he was four months old. I bought, I got him from a shelter uh, when I was in college. And Decatur, my husband and I got in New Orleans when we were still dating.
0: Wow. 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 Yeah. Um, How does Decatur handle the heat in Palm Springs?
1: She actually doesn't mind it at all. She'll go outside and she'll lay on the concrete outside when it's 115 degrees outside. And I have to beg her to come back inside so she doesn't hurt her paws.
0: Oh my gosh. She loves it. She was born for this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, and your husband, your husband is a surgeon, correct?
1: he's a neurologist, so he doesn't do surgery, but he does make life and death decisions about brains. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's gotta be heavy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He he does a really good job of not bringing his work home with him. So I mean, compartmentalizing. Yeah. We have to both be like that, like not bring our work home with us. And you know, if we have a rough day, then like Talk about it and debrief a little bit. But um, other than that, no, we just try not to bring our work home with us.
0: That's very smart. Very smart. And you work in the ER, right? Correct. Okay. Wow. You guys are just like saving lives left and right right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: when, um, well, let's just dive in now. I mean, um, When did you and your husband start trying for a child? And give us a little snapshot into your infertility journey.
1: Okay. So, I mean, it's a long story. We were trying to conceive for five years. We didn't start seeing a reproductive endocrinologist until about three years in. Uh, First diagnosis was fibroids. And that was kind of the presumed cause of my infertility at first. And with the first doctor I saw, I did all the diagnostic stuff. Everything came back pretty normal except for the fibroids. And I found out that my ovarian reserve was a little low or like kind of in jeopardy of being low. So we moved from San Diego to Palm Springs after that. And I started seeing a new doctor. He recommended IVF right away because of the low ovarian reserve. And he recommended starting as soon as possible. So I did one cycle of IVF. It was catastrophic. <laughs> um, well, okay, not catastrophic. It was in my mind it was catastrophic. We got seven eggs and ended up with one uh, PGS normal embryo. And he suggested that we do another cycle as soon as possible. So he wanted to go ahead and remove the fibroids first and then do another cycle. I took his first advice and did the cycle first and then did the surgery. Ended up with no embryos from that second cycle. Did the surgery. It went horribly wrong. I ended up having a bladder laceration from that. I had to take a big break. Um Did a third cycle later after I recovered. Wait,
0: a bladder laceration? What? Yeah.
1: So he accidentally cut my bladder during surgery. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I went home with a very large Foley catheter and had to keep that for a week. Still made it to Hawaii two weeks after surgery. No idea how that happened. I was in a swimsuit in Hawaii two weeks after surgery somehow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no catheter.
0: No catheter. You just had the catheter for a week.
1: For a week. Yeah, they took it out um, just in time for me to go to Hawaii.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. And this was Okay, so this was your first clinic in San Diego in Palm Springs. In Palm Springs. No, in Palm Springs.
1: So this is actually my second clinic. I did all the diagnostic stuff with the first doctor in San Diego and then started IVF with the second doctor in Palm Springs.
0: Oh my gosh, Emily, the whole bladder, the bladder thing that, that, that kills me. That kills me. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. So, um, so he removed the fibroids and then you started round two.
1: I did round two before the fibroids and ended up with no embryos from that cycle. So that's when he was like, okay, let's go ahead and remove these fibroids and see if that helps. So It was an extended recovery from the surgery because of the bladder laceration, but I ended up doing a third cycle, and it went much better than the first two. I ended up with one more PGS normal blast in the end, and then we did a transfer the following month. I got pregnant from the transfer, and then it ended up being a um, blighted ovum. Couldn't think of the word.
0: Remind us of what a blighted ovum is again.
1: It's basically just a sac without a baby in it. Got it. So the pregnancy is progressing. We You think it's progressing normally, and then you go to the first ultrasound and find out that there's no baby in that gestational sac. So two PGS normal embryos that we transferred, and the first clue was that my betas were not doubling. So we knew something was wrong. We just didn't know what it was. And then it turned out it was a blighted ovum. And
0: you transferred both of the embryos that you had.
1: Correct. And one stuck.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: Yeah. So then I ended up taking a break, going, doing a bunch of, you know, the it all starts with the egg stuff. Uh, took the vitamins, did the diet, you know, did all the things. And ended up doing another cycle with a fresh transfer, and that failed. So that's when we were like, okay, let's switch doctors. And we had already decided going into the third doctor that we were going to do three cycles, and if it didn't work, we were going to walk away. So we already knew that that was the plan going into this. And so we ended up doing four cycles because we just still had hope after the third one. And then we ended up transferring the embryo from our first cycle. We only ended up getting one PGS normal embryo from those four cycles. We did four back-to-back. So that's what she recommended is that we do back-to-back cycles because the ovaries are already primed from the previous cycle going into that next cycle. So that was her recommendation. And I ended up getting more and better quality eggs with each consecutive cycle, but the only PGS normal we had was from that first cycle. Mm. So Mm. um, we did an ERA. I did um, another hysteroscopy just to make sure that there was nothing in the uterine cavity. And we changed a lot with my protocol for the next transfer. Transferred that embryo from our first cycle same thing happened it stuck uh, my betas didn't double and then it was another blighted ovum oh. we have no idea why it and I actually sent the product conception for testing and found out that it was a pgs normal girl so oh, wow yeah wow so it was that was Heartbreaking, you know, finding out that it was normal because our backup plan was going to be donor eggs. And then we didn't end up going that route because we learned that we had a uterine issue, too. Mm. Long story, but that's my. Okay. And
0: what was the uterine issue that you discovered along the way?
1: We don't know. We don't wow. know why I I mean, it's just that we've been transferring PGS normal embryos. We tried a kitchen sink protocol with the last transfer to see if we could like bypass any uterine issues. I did intralipids. I did steroids. I did antibiotics. I did all the things. All like the things. You weeks. checked
0: off all the boxes.
1: Mm-hmm. Just in case. I I mean, I tested negative for everything on my recurrent pregnancy loss screening, but I. I don't know. There's wow. some issue that we're not aware of, I guess, and it could be an immune issue. And I guess if I, you know, wanted to go down the reproductive immunology route, I could do that. But at this point, I'm like, it's been two years, eight IVF cycles, two transfers, two losses. I'm done. You're I can't done. Do it You're done. Yes.
0: Um, when you say that, you say that with a. I mean, like tell me if I'm wrong, but when I hear you say that, you are, you are done. You are completely done 100%. and there is nothing changing your mind. There's like, you feel very confident about that decision.
1: Yeah, 100%. I actually, i um, going into this new job that I have was looking at the benefits because I found out that the insurance through my new job will cover some IBS. And so I was debating, do I take these benefits or do I stay on my good health insurance that I have through my husband? And the only reason I would take the benefits is to do IVF covered by insurance. And I had to like think long and hard about it. And I decided I didn't want to. I, I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm done. I can't. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, that door has been closed. Closed. Wow. And you feel, yeah. I mean... There's got to be a sense. Is there a sense of freedom in knowing that?
1: 100%. I feel so free. And it took me a little while to get here. It took several months after walking away from fertility treatments to get to this point where I feel comfortable and I feel free and I feel like I am not tied to that anymore. Mm,
0: Yeah, totally. Well, um, you know, in terms of titles... You know, there's the childless not by choice, childless after infertility, and child free after infertility. What do they mean for you, and which one do you identify with the most?
1: So, I think I actually identify with all of them in some ways, and I feel like there's a different connotation to each one. And I can Identify with one more than the other, depending on the day or my mental space that I'm in. Um, I think at this point and today, I identify the most with child-free after infertility. Because for me, it means that I am no longer defined by not having children. I'm child free. I'm free to live the rest of my life and not be defined by that. Whereas, you know, let's think about like Mother's Day, I would say I'm childless, not by choice. Mm -hmm. Like it just depends on the mood, the day, you know, but in a broader sense, I feel like I identify most with being child free.
0: Got it. Got it. Um, Well, what has been the hardest? part about stepping off the fertility treadmill, treadmill, essentially, and living a child-free life?
1: I would say the hardest part is probably holidays and knowing that I'm going to be sad on holidays, like Mother's Day. I had to go through Mother's Day shortly after my last pregnancy loss, and that was a hard day for me. And it was mostly feeling left out, I feel left out of a lot of things, not having children, because I feel like as a society, we expect people to have children. And we, that's, you know, a lot of holidays and a lot of things are centered around having children, having that, like, you know, two kids and a white picket fence lifestyle. So that's probably the hardest part is feeling like I don't fit in. Mm.
0: Mm. Do you, um? what do you imagine, like, how are you going to combat that in the future? Do you have any ideas of, like, how you're going to, I don't know, manifest taking care of yourself during the holidays? Like, what, what might that look like?
1: I think it's about creating new traditions and finding, you know, something that works for my husband and I that we can do together on holidays that, is a new tradition for us that's not centered around children. And, I mean, this year we just treated Mother's Day like it was any other day Um, and just, you know, said, forget it. (laughs) like It's not Mother's Day today. It's just, let's ignore that. Um, But I feel like it's mostly just, you know, creating new traditions and finding something that makes us happy on those days.
0: Yeah, I I love that. I love that because it does feel like... um when you have a child, all of a sudden you give yourself permission to make these traditions and to do these, you know, to create these memories kind of thing. And, and to just establish that from the get-go, you know, it is beautiful and sounds like a good idea for everybody. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, what has been the best part about jumping off the fertility treadmill?
1: Uh, Exactly that jumping off of the fertility (laughs) treadmill, feeling like I am free. I can, you know, live my life and not be tied to infertility and fertility treatments. And, you know, I, that took over my life. And it's so funny because when you're in it, that's all you can think about is that the infertility of the fertility treatments and how can I make this better? And how can I, you know, make my eggs better quality and all that. Um, And once you're off of the treadmill, it's like, Oh, Oh, this is what life was like before I started going through this.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, um, redefining your life, you know, like, I mean, treatments, Treatment schedules are incredibly uh, paralyzing. Like, forget about any vacations. Forget about, you know, traveling. It's tricky. It's really tricky. Um, Have you Have you been able to do things that do things again as you reemerge into this this life?
1: Oh my gosh! (laughs) Yes, I. I mean. I feel like I had the opportunity to start fresh and the opportunity to completely reinvent myself and start from scratch. And so I got a new job. I got a new car. I've planned vacations. You know, it's all the things (laughs) that I haven't been able to do because of fertility treatment.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Well, let's get into maybe some of the more stickier parts of this decision, um. Did you receive any scrutiny after making the decision to walk away?
1: Uh, yes, a lot. It's it was hard to put it out there that I was walking away from fertility treatments, mostly because of the the friendships that I made in the infertility community, and I feel like I have not my what especially on Instagram I feel like my content has not been well received by some of the infertility community and I kind of feel left out and I kind of feel like I don't belong in that community anymore and that's kind of been a really tough part for me is feeling like I no longer belong in the infertility community and I don't I'm newly child-free, so I haven't established relationships with people in the child-free, childless, not-by-choice community yet. So I feel like I'm in this really weird in-between land where I don't belong in either category. And so I have, have had some people on Instagram in the infertility community, kind of some who I've had message me and say that they don't want to see my content and that they're unfollowing me. Wow. And I've had some people comment on my posts and say, this showed up in my Explore page that I don't want to see it. I don't want to see any negativity. So it's been hard to see things like that when I'm going through all of that myself and having to experience it firsthand. So Yeah, and I've also had the, you know, have you tried this? And have you considered adoption? And, you know, yes, I've considered all the things I promised. So that's, you know, been rough. But, you know.
0: It must, like, I don't know, it must be extra painful when it comes from the community that you were identifying with for so long. When they say the things to you that we all hate, being asked the, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you considered this? Like, oh my gosh. Like, I think it just must feel like a slap in the face. Like nobody's respecting your decision at all.
1: Yeah, it does. And I will say I've had a lot of positive response too. So I don't want to like, you know, discredit all of the positive feedback and response that I've gotten, but I have had a lot of negativity come my way. And it's been a lot of, you know, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And like, either I've tried it, or I don't want to, because I'm at a point where I just can't mentally and physically do it anymore. So I walked away from my own mental health. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And what a
0: bold, move for yourself to, to just walk away and know, know that you were done. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Wow. Well, um, you know, do you feel like, cause I think this comes up a lot for people, um, in the infertility community, like it, um, in whatever shape or form i feel sometimes like our our membership is dependent on this this struggle you know and like maintaining this struggle you know so that everybody can kind of watch it too right mm-hmm. and and at the end of the road wherever you land on the spectrum when you're not need in the struggle anymore it seems like where do you belong where where is the place for you you know can you speak to a little bit more about like trying to trying to reclaim reclaim your place i guess in the community
1: uh, yeah so i feel like in the same way that people who've had a baby after infertility are kind of shunned. It's the, kind of the same as people who end up without a baby. And are, it's the people who are on the other side of it. And I totally agree that our membership in the community seems like it's dependent on being in that struggle and sharing how we're feeling in the struggle. But once you're out of the struggle on the other side, no matter how that looks, It's not as well-received. So I feel like I've had to personally detach myself a little bit, and it's not that I don't want to support people who I've created relationships with. It's just that for my own, you know, mental, to protect my own heart, I have had to Kind of step away from the infertility community. And I feel like maybe that's part of it is that I'm not showing up as a cheerleader as much as I used to. Mm. And, you know, and maybe it's the same for people. It, I don't even know how it is if you've had a baby, if it's like you go back and you still, you know, show up as a cheerleader for the infertility community. And maybe that's why it happens that way. I've maintained a lot of my friendships from the infertility community, and I feel like I found out who were my real friends and who were my real connections, and then who was just there to watch the journey. Mm. So mm-hmm. you know, it was about figuring that out and maintaining the friendships that are real. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, and like you said, you know, I do think that um, throughout the journey, you do make some, you you get really close with people very quickly. I think, you know, when you, when you're sharing such intimate details of, of your life and of this story and of this, of treatment. Um, And so it feels, you do make good, authentic connections, In a way. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, as soon as you find out that someone has the same fertility issues you do, it's like, oh my God, we're best friends now. So, yeah, and you can relate on those issues that you have. Um, But then inevitably, someone ends up with a baby, someone doesn't, maybe someone stays in the struggle, and then that relationship kind of takes a hit and i mean i i have a lot of you know friends in the infertility community and i th- most have ended up pregnant or with a baby and i am one of the few who's left without one on the other side and i actually don't know anyone else who i've you know built a strong bond with who is in the same situation as me. Mm. So that's actually really hard because I'd imagine, you know, if you have a baby, there are plenty of other people who come out on the other side with a baby. And it's hard because I'm in the minority. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, what has given you the most comfort after making the decision to be child-free after infertility?
1: Honestly, the support. My husband, my family, my friends has been amazing. Like, my husband and I are on the same page. We, you know, agree about how our life is going to go moving forward. And that wasn't even always the case in fertility treatments. So, having that now has been super comforting. And my family has received my decision very well and has supported me in ways that I never expected. And my friends have been the same way. That's
0: incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Like I could imagine, you know, like it, it could be so devastating to have be so comfortable, you know, comfortable with this decision, bring it to your family and your family just piles it on with more sadness. Or something. I don't think I could handle that. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't need. Please, don't you now be sad? You know, like I need you to be meet me where I'm at right now.
1: Yeah, that would be really hard. I'm glad my. I mean, my family was amazing in their response to it. So I couldn't imagine if it had not gone well. I probably. I mean, I was falling apart. Yeah,
0: when you say that they were amazing, to like. Tell me more. How? What did that look like?
1: Um, so, clearly, my mom and my sister had done their research, and they knew exactly what to say, and whether they feel this way or not, they knew exactly what to say to support me, and, you know, my mom, you know, I told her I said, you know, this has to be really hard for you too, knowing that you're not going to have a grandchild from me. And my sister has PCOS, so she might have issues too. So like, I know this has to be, you know, difficult for you. And she said, you know, all I want is for you to be happy. She mm. said, you know, it's hard to watch your child go through trauma like you went through and she said it that it was really hard to watch and she said she's just happy it's over she's happy that I'm happy oh my gosh I'm getting teary-eyed like
0: (laughs) that is the perfect response right you know if anybody's listening to this right now and somebody comes to you making you know comes to you know whoever's listening and someone reveals this news, you know, that's a really great response. Yep. Wow. Um, Anything else that brought you comfort? Did you go on a vacation? Did you, I mean, I know you got a car, you got a job. What else?
1: Uh, I've been on a few little vacations since, you know, we decided to walk away. Uh, Right after my last pregnancy loss, I was actually still, you know, in the process Um, I, you know, decided to go to San Francisco because my husband had been working every month in San Francisco doing like a part-time gig there. And we decided that I would go there for like a week just to get away from here. And then we went to Napa for a few days. And that was exactly the mental reset I needed. It was You know, getting out of my usual environment, I actually ended up, I still had to go, like, get my beta levels checked while I was in San Francisco because I was still in the process of losing that pregnancy. But I, you know, I really appreciated the escape from my usual environment. And then we went to Napa and I was able to drink all the wine. Wow. (laughs) So that was nice. Um, I mean, there are silver linings for sure to you know, coming out on the other side, child, childless or Mm child-free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, how can
0: people, kind of dovetailing into going back to what your mom said, how can people support someone who doesn't end up with a baby after going through fertility treatment?
1: I mean, exactly how, you know, my family responded is how, you know, verbally, I would say, to support someone. in a bigger picture sense i would say the biggest thing is including that person i feel excluded a lot of times from things that involve children and or like baby showers you know kids birthday parties things like that i want to be invited and i may not show up because sometimes it's painful and i may be having a bad day but I want to be invited to those things. And I don't want to be excluded from things that involve children because most of my friends have children or are at least planning on having children. So and I'm 35 now. So most of my friends have children already. And I feel excluded a lot of times from anything that involves children.
0: Mm, mm. And you
1: don't want to be, Right.
0: right? Like you want to be there at the parties at the baptisms, whatever it is, you, you want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I feel, um, I feel so like you're, I just, I, this is a fabulous interview, Emily, because I feel sometimes like a lot of people, um, they think that it's too hard. You know, people with kids see people without children, and they they think that they don't they don't have an interest, you know what I mean,
1: yeah,
0: and I yeah, and it it's true that I think when I was going through fertility treatment, I really didn't want anything to do with the baby shower stuff. And, like, it was really hard. And, you know, it was kind of like on any given day, I don't know where I was going to land on the spectrum. You know, some days I did want to be around it. Some days I didn't. Like, is that kind of where it is for you?
1: Can you speak to that a little bit more? I would actually say, and I may be different from other people who have ended up without children after infertility. But for me, I actually am less triggered by pregnancy and babies and children than I was when I was in the fertility treatment world. Like when I, when that was all I could think about, I was so triggered by especially pregnant women. I was always angry at pregnant women for no explanation. Like I couldn't explain why I was angry, but I just was angry. And it was every single time I saw a pregnant woman and, um, I don't have that reaction anymore. And I don't even know when it ended But now I, you know, look at pregnant women and I just feel bad because I'm like, you must be so uncomfortable. (laughs) But
0: that to me tells me you are so confident and comfortable in your decision. You know, this is your truth. This is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. That like, there's no room for any jealousy or like, you know, like you are so rooted in where your existence and your identity is right now.
1: Yeah. I think it's just that I had to find who I am outside of wanting to be a mother. I Mm. had to, you know, I I still want to be a mother. If I got pregnant, I would be extremely happy about it. I would, you know, be ecstatic if I were to have children in the future. But I had to let go of that and realize that I am more than my ability to procreate. Mm. I am... My own person without that. So I had to find what brings me joy and, you know, where I feel like I belong. Yeah.
0: What makes your blood boil about infertility?
1: I mean, honestly, (laughs) a lot of things, but mostly how unfair it is that, you know, it doesn't, infertility is one of those things that you just never know. If you're going to be infernal and it doesn't have any kind of pattern and it just affects anyone. And it's so unfair because there's so many people who would be great parents and will never be able to or have to try really hard to be parents. And then the other thing is cost. I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculously expensive. Yeah. And we paid for everything out of pocket. So, I mean, we ended up spending almost $200,000 on fertility treatments, which is, you know, and luxury, four luxury cars. <laughs> Have you guys
0: paid that all off?
1: Uh, we are almost paid off. We put a lot of it on credit cards. And we are slowly chipping away at that but we're almost done. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Like it, it, yes to all of that. I mean, the price is just astronomical. It it it's so unfair that it it has to be that way. It's awful, you know. Um yeah. so you know, certain countries around the world offer free treatment and I just don't know why we can't We can't progress to that level yet, but that's another, that's another episode. (laughs) Um, Well, how can folks like connect with you and, you know, follow your story on Instagram?
1: Uh, I am exercise for cheese fries on Instagram. The
0: best handle, (laughs) hands down the best handle I've ever heard, by the way.
1: It's a metaphor for how I live my life. (laughs) Balance. It's all about balance.
0: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Emily. I'm so glad I got to talk to you. Um, and I also just, you know, I think it's important that more childless, not by choice, child-free, um, folks feel comfortable and confident talking about their story more often. So I really I'm I'm glad you're you